0: Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. An evolved perspective on life with dogs.
1: Well, it's all right. Riding around in the breeze. Well, it's all right. If you live the life you please. Well, it's all right.
2: Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today, as always. Uh, a reminder that... Farm Dog Naturals is offering a 15% uh, coupon code for fans of The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. The coupon code is DOGRADIO, all one word, and it'll give you 15% off your entire order at farmdognaturals.com, as well as free shipping, and they ship worldwide. Um they have really awesome products. They have a, a small line of very useful products for the home and pet, um, and we just use the heck out of them. We actually are out of their cleaner right now, and I keep reaching for it, and I keep meaning to order more because I'm always like, ha we need more farm dog naturals in this house. Uh, they have a household cleaner uh, called Relief, and it's a really nice um, – sort of clean smelling cleaner some, you know, I don't know, I think you kind of know what I mean when I say that. It has a a nice fresh clean smell and does a great job cleaning up and it's totally non-toxic as all of their products are and then some great healing skin salves, uh, two different ones that we just use a ton and have had really great success with both on our dogs and also we uh, use it on ourselves and we've even used them on our goats and so far so great So check that out. FarmDogNaturals.com is their website, and the coupon code is DOGRadio, one word, and that'll get you 15% off your entire order. We've had so many great interviews over the years, and I love going way back and pulling some of my favorites and um, kind of bringing them to your attention again. And so um, I'm going to bring two past interviews up today for today's show the first is uh, Shane McDougall, who's the director of a really funny documentary that came out several years ago called Wiener Takes All. And it's a documentary about wiener dog races. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a real it's real people in this, and it's really funny. And so I talked to him about his experience and some of the parts of the movie that he made. And then um, in the second half of the show, you'll hear of my interview with Rose Dedan, of wild Reiki and shamanic healing, and I actually took a Reiki class from Rose and really loved it. She does uh, classes and consultations, and uh, has a really a, a really wonderful teacher, healer, and uh, great conversation also to listen to as well. So we're going to get going first with Shane McDougal, the director of a documentary called Wiener Takes All. Hi, Shane thanks for having me, yeah, you're welcome so um I have a lot of questions for you about this film. Now, I have a dachshund myself, so my condolences yes, do you have a dachshund?
0: Here's my secret uh shame. I actually have four cats, no dogs,
2: no dogs, yeah,
0: so I want to do a documentary kind of with an impartial uh view, yeah. So I figured, you know, here I am, a a cat person. And I love dogs. I mean, we babysit our neighbor's dog all the time. I I want to have kind of an impartial view of of the dog world.
2: So what gave you the... I mean, where did you get the idea? Did you say where you set out to kind of like, oh, I want to make a documentary, but what about? Or does...
0: Yeah, well, I mean, what all I've shot up to this date was, um, you know, short comedies, like sketches and a couple pilots, and, you know, I, I used to be a TV writer for pretty much every kid show on the planet, and um, I had this idea that I, I wanted to shoot a short documentary, mm-hmm. ironically because I thought shooting a documentary would be easier than shooting, you know, a narrative, which mm-hmm. quickly turned out to be a real education in the film world. mm mm-hmm. um, and I was looking for a short, and one day I was sitting on my couch and I saw this TV blurb, you know, during the evening news, talking about the Wiener Nationals. <laughs> and uh, I, I realized that the national finals for the Wiener Nationals were literally a mile away from my doorstep. Wow. Um, so I thought, well, you know, gimme. <laughs> it's a gimme right there. Yeah. So I uh, I grabbed a camera uh, and an, an audio guy, and we went down and... Uh, you know, we quickly gathered interviews with people, and I realized before the night was out that not only was this not, you know, a short, but it was definitely feature material, but, you know, I, I kind of realized I'd stumbled into a, a very unique, uh, undocumented sort of world that I thought had a story that needed to be, tell, to be yes. told. Yes. I mean, it was just so kind of off the wall.
2: A can of worms, so to speak.
0: A can of dogs, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> kind of worms, you know, like <laughs> the dachshunds. So you went down there and you went to that first, you know, you went and checked out the Wiener Nationals, and it quickly became clear to you that there was uh, a lot oh, yeah. a lot there for you.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, we met the players, and the, even the first night there, people started talking to us about the famous controversies and, the, you know, mm-hmm. the scandals that rocked the Wiener dog world and the. You know, the show dog versus the racing people. And, yeah, yeah it, it just kind of opened my eyes to a world that I'd never really even heard of before this. Mm-hmm. But then I'm when you know, I started looking around and I saw, you know, looking at the stats, you know, 12,000 people attend the race at Los Alamitos. Buda, Texas has a two-day race that attracts, I think, it's 20,000 people. Um, you know, this is the most popular sport you've never heard of.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> And we have a wiener dog race up here locally as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And in I fact, tried
0: one. Of, one of our principals in in our film actually was a regular at at the Seattle races. But yeah, yeah. The Seattle races are quite quite well known.
2: Yeah, I gotta say, look out. The the reigning champion shouldn't get too comfortable because my little Leia, she, we're in training right now. So <laughs> <laughs> she's fast. She's like a torpedo. <laughs> um. So what? When you say that there's controversy give us some an example or some examples of of that
0: well I mean perhaps the most um, famous scandal was the uh, Noodles pretzel rivalry mm. which was uh, uh, this dog Noodles two years in a row um, you know at the national the final race would win the race and then they called a false start and redid the race and both years he uh, was defeated by you know, another dog pretzel Um so, yeah, it, it became kind of a, you know, it became a grudge match, the Adley Frazier sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and that was one of the stories we followed through. Uh, then there was a, a story of Barron, who was probably, you know, the winningest wiener dog racer of all time. Uh-huh. uh And he won so much that, you know, tracks stopped letting him race. Right. Just because they knew he was going to win. Um, so that was kind of a controversy. And then, then there were the controversies, you know, of, the, of wiener dog racing itself. Uh, the Dachshund yeah. Club of America is vehemently opposed to wiener dog racing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I understand their opposition. Um, you know, if we went to, for instance, um, Phoenix, where the races are held at the Greyhound uh, track. And, you know, on a given night at the Greyhound track, they might have a few hundred people there. Then every year they have the wiener dog race, and the place is packed to the rafters. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you guys have discussed, you know, the, the treatment of the greyhounds and how, you know, losing greyhounds are either given away to do homes or they're euthanized. I yeah. mean, you win or you die. Yeah. Um, and the Dachshund Club of America is very worried that, you know, um, the racing could be commercialized. Yeah. And that wiener dogs could be bred just for racing. And, you know, there's also inherent um, problems with the dogs and their backs. If You know, they can certainly hurt. Hurt themselves, yeah, um, but they, you know they really didn't want it. They didn't want wiener dog racing to be used as a promotional event that was bringing people into greyhound tracks. Now, as to whether or not they think you know wiener dogs could be bred to race. Uh, they've obviously never watched many wiener dog races, <laughs>
1: right. because
0: you know uh, 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 most of the wiener dog races until you actually get to the champion level races. You know, ninety percent of the dogs tumble out of the gates and they're running in the, the opposite bus,
2: direction. They, yeah, go the <laughs> wrong way
0: or scratch or yeah, look just generally dazed and confused. Right, but uh, again, though, you go to the other side. You've got these greyhound tracks that are dying. The demographic is you know very old, you know, men, and the demographic is dying off. So I. I, I I can see their their concern.
2: Yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, is one, Greyhound Racing should be dying off. And actually, in Massachusetts, which is where I'm from, it actually just this past year was made illegal. So Greyhound Racing, I think they have within the next year or or within by the end of this year, the tracks are going to be shut down.
0: Well, and, and that's happening across the country. I mean, people understand... Um you know that uh, that it it's a sport whose time has passed. Yeah. Um, you know, if these dogs weren't getting put down, then it wouldn't be an issue. But you know what, they are. They, you know, and it really depends track to track too how the dogs are treated. I mean, some some places where the dogs are not kenneled on site, you know, the dogs live a better life. But you know what, there's no real oversight. Um, you know. it, it, it I understand. I understand the controversy, and it is a dying sport. So I, I really wouldn't, you know, I, I understand the concern. I just don't know if it's if it's really something that uh, needs to be, you know, top of their list. You know, of the Dachshund Club of America.
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's certainly something to be conscientious about,
0: sure. and, well, and and we have a section in the film about that. Uh, we it's actually in the outtakes on the DVD. We originally had it in the film mm-hmm. uh, itself. And we had pretty much a graphic scene where you know there was fifty greyhounds being thrown out into a dumpster from a from a, mm-hmm. a vet clinic that was servicing one track in yep. the southeast. But we took that out because you know talk about a buzzkill. The film would be going along, people would laugh, 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 and then yeah. cut to um, you know the greyhound segment and the audience just came to a screeching halt. And there was no bringing the audience back. Yeah. So after a few of those screenings, we went, you know, we just have to take it out.
2: Yeah, and put it... But it is in the DVD. Yeah, it's
0: certainly on the DVD. I mean, we want the message to get out. Yeah. I mean, just not in the middle of a PG-rated film.
2: Yeah. And I thought, now, Wiener Dog Races really are... For I mean, it's a fun kind of you know, ha ha sort of sport. And aren't they? Aren't some of them held actually to raise money for the 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 greyhounds? Not for greyhound racing, but for like X racing greyhounds and well, the ones at
0: the greyhound tracks are sure. Uh, Other ones are done for local. For instance, the one at in Los Alamitos is done for the. um Huntington Beach uh, Animal Rescue or, or Dog Rescue. Okay. Um, yeah, most of most of the uh, most of the races across the country are held for charities I'm not sure. If, for instance, Butte is done for the Lions Club, which is you know their their uh, purpose is um, to end blindness mm-hmm. um, or to, to offer surgery for blind kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the uh, the Wiener Schnitzel ones I think are pretty much done for commercial promotion. I don't think. That they put their money towards charity, they may. Oh no, I'm I'm talking about behind. Yeah, the the various tracks do. Uh, the Wiener Schnitzel itself doesn't donate the money, but the different races will donate uh, their money to a local charity. Yeah. So yeah, pretty much all the races across the country are uh, are for are uh, charities.
2: Yeah, and the uh, the feeling that I got that I took away from it was that the people. Uh, as you know people will get competitive and there are you know but that people really were um conscientious about their dogs and that they were you know if the dogs didn't enjoy doing it that they wouldn't be you know really pushing the dogs to race it was kind of like you know if the dog seems to have fun doing it it and it really is when you boil it down just for fun did it was that really, you know, the impression that you got consistently? Was oh, yeah. Was... I
0: mean, yeah, these dogs are not commodities like greyhounds. I mean, these dogs are members of the family. Yeah. In fact, usually head of the household It seems. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it, the world, the, their owners, their lives revolve around these dogs. Yeah. I mean, I, there was not a single instance. I, I guess maybe noodles. I mean, he was the house, you know, in the household of, you know, newly expected parents. So he was starting to go into No, you know the secondary rule but for most the most part most of our most of the participants in our film their dog is kind of the the family's child i mean you'll you'll notice almost everyone in our film they're childless they have the dog in lieu of a child
2: yeah and i'm actually now remembering one older couple who their lives baby love really yes yes they, I mean, I, I'm try I can't think of the specific examples, but they would basically, I mean, bend over backwards, whatever the dog wants. I mean, they're almost like servants to the dog.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, their house is a shrine to their dog. But she, I mean, she's such a good dog and such a great little racer. Yeah, um, and probably the best. Uh, best tempered uh, dachshund i've ever encountered too oh. i mean she's just a sweetheart
1: yeah um
0: but yeah i mean that most most of our participants are like that they love the dogs and and i think that's kind of why the dachshund club of america has kind of misplaced priorities i understand about their them not wanting these events ra- held at at uh, at dog tracks but you know for the most part these dogs are not being exploited at all
2: yeah okay and uh i know in the film you um you touched on some other competitive dachshund type things so sure. i think uh we're gonna take a break and um when we get back or we'll talk about some of the other things that you uh got a chance to film during wiener takes all great right. so we'll be back with shane mcdougall with wiener takes all you're listening to the dog show with julie forbes an alternative talk 1150. This is Julie Forbes. I'm excited to tell you about Farm Dog Naturals, a company that handcrafts herbal remedies for the all-natural dog. Quality and integrity are must-haves for anything that I recommend. Certified, eco-friendly, and cruelty-free, their products address issues like stress and anxiety, itching, hot spots, Crusty noses, as well as pet urine, stains, and odor. Farm Dog Naturals is guaranteed, and I'm so happy with the results I'm seeing. Shipping is available worldwide from their website, farmdognaturals.com, or you can ask for them at a retailer near you. Again, that's farmdognaturals.com. Host at DogRadioShow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at DogRadioShow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future.
3: (laughs) Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. It's like Hollywood. They make up all these stories and all these lies and...
4: Don't go there. I don't want to go there. I'm not going to answer that. Are people
3: using
0: steroids. You think he was just juice to the gills? What? I don't really remember anything from that period of my career. I was uh, hooked on cold medicines at the time.
4: They get belligerent.
2: They're powerful.
4: They are vengeful.
2: They expect to be kneeled down, to. The races are rigged.
0: Do I have to answer that question right now? Is it, is it a, hot, a hot potato? Or it's or a it? hot potato right now. I'd rather, I'd rather not comment on it right now. Well, I'll get an attorney on it. No, no, no. Shut get up, Tommy. I'll get an attorney. So ask me next year. Maybe I'll have a better answer than right now. Better answer than no comment. kind of out there, It gets pretty rough.
2: All right, that's a um, little audio there from uh, the trailer for the documentary called Wiener Takes All. You can watch that on the website, which is wienertakesall.com. And uh, you're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we are talking to Shane McDougall, the filmmaker of the documentary Wiener Takes All. Hi, Shane. Hey. So in addition to the wiener dog racing, there are some other competitive docks and activities that you um, were able to get some footage about and, and interview some people about. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. One of them was uh Earth Dog. Mm-hmm. which uh, I actually will, in a future show, have somebody on to talk more about that. It's a pretty cool um, activity to do with uh, dachshunds and some breeds of terriers. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that uh, that part of the movie? Of the sure. Uh,
0: I mean, the dachshund was originally bred to hunt badgers uh, underground. I, I basically go in to the badger's lair and... Corner the badger and then bark and bark and bark and, you know to signal the farmer where to dig, so he could dig into the layer and pull out the badger. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a badger, but they have claws in them like you know knives. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that gives you a little bit of an idea of just how ferocious the dachshund can be. Um, so just, I mean, the the dachshund associations, in order to keep you know this ability alive in these dogs have these things called uh, earth dog competitions where Mm -hmm. they will put in tunnels and then they have a cage at the end of the tunnel that has a a rat in it. So the the rat's protected so the dog can't get to it. Mm -hmm. And then the owners will let the dog loose. The dog has to find the entrance to the lair, go in, uh, navigate the maze, and it is a maze, find the rat, and then bark and bark and bark for a minute. And then they... Pull the rat out of, of the there's a trap door that they lets them pull the rat out and then the owner has to call the dog out and you have a minute to get the dog out from one end of the tunnel out uh, to, to the to the owner. It's called the recall phase.
2: Yeah, and that seems to be where oh, it's the most fun. People have yeah. some trouble.
0: Well, yeah, I mean you've got a dog who's playing around in a tunnel, just had a rat that he was playing with, and now all of a sudden you're calling him to come out. Yeah, not going to happen. And it's, what we're, it's very difficult to get your dog to recall. That's the, yeah. the sign of a true earth dog champion.
2: Yeah. And well yeah, and to, to disengage from that drive sure. enough to even hear <laughs> the owner calling them, let alone to obey. Uh-huh. So now if people had some interesting methods in I think in a in a form of desperation to try to get their dogs uh out, there was one woman who was actually yelling the names of fast food restaurants to try to get the dog out which means that if she's trying that that the dog must know that i mean have been conditioned in some way to know you know mcdonald's and burger king and wendy's and all those fast food restaurants i mean and it, it seems like she's actually feeding her dog that kind of food or maybe part of her meal
0: yeah. Well, all the uh, all the begging and bribing in the world didn't do her any good. No. Yeah. Uh, she was running down.
2: Yeah. She was going through the list too. Yep. And they would. The dogs would uh, kind of pop out for a second, and then you'd see the owner, you know, moving as fast as they could, it, which was challenging in some cases. And um, as soon as they got over, the dog would just sort of boop, like disappear back down into the hole.
0: Yeah. Sort of like whack a mole.
2: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, so
0: Yeah, it, it seems like that sport's almost as much fun for the dog as it is for the owner um, for a few reasons. I think they like tormenting their owners. <laughs> I mean, it really seems yeah. <laughs> in some of those cases, you know, the dog will come out and then run away from the owner, which right. they never do except when the clock is ticking and they're being judged.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, well anytime, I mean I'm a huge fan of those types of things where the dogs, you know, breed specific or breed group specific types of activities where dogs are really getting to, you know, they have an outlet for their drive. I mean, that's what they were bred for. So it just comes so naturally to them if it's whether it's earth dog or, you know, herding or lure coursing for sight hounds, all those kinds of things. I sure. Really and if you, I
0: mean the reality is if it wasn't for these organizations doing it, I mean, these are instincts that are bred in the dogs, but you know, if you don't practice it, it disappears. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of important that, you know, the, that these hounds and, and the, some of these terriers, that they engage in these sort of things, mm-hmm. or else they, they you know, that, that instinct gets lost in the breed.
2: Yeah, preserving the, uh, the breed. Yeah. Um, and then there was a, a segment, it must have been at one of the races or at a dog show, I'm not sure, but there was actually, there's something called matrimony where there was a oh, woman yes. marrying <laughs> dogs. Yeah,
0: that was in uh, Findlay, Ohio, um, where they have this big annual wiener dog race that um, just seems to double in size every year. I think they had 2,000 or 3,000 people there last year. It's a teeny tiny town in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they have a, a licensed minister that comes in and performs uh, matrimony. It's called, you
2: know. Now, is this a legal thing? I mean, this well, there...
0: Ohio, so who knows? Uh, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I think it's a. Uh, I think it's just for fun. Just. Yeah, I, I don't think they have to go go to divorce court if you know one of the dogs happens to stray. Getting literally married. and figuratively.
2: Yeah, getting married just for the just for the wedding. Yeah, just for the ceremony for
1: the
0: gift.
2: Yeah, for the kibble, and uh, and so she was um, okay with marrying a Rottweiler to a Shih Tzu, but there were to be no same-sex dog marriages.
0: Well, I had to throw that out there because when we were shooting this, this was when uh, the whole same-sex marriage thing was going, you know, hitting the news. So I, yeah, I, I it was a very tongue-in-cheek question. Right. But, uh, it, the response was. <laughs> Not cheek.
2: very clear yeah. very clear yeah. no
0: and it cut me off guard but yeah it's one of those moments that makes the film so <laughs>
2: yeah I know that the film was sold out in Seattle when it was at uh, the Seattle's True Independent Film Festival last year. How's it, have you, In you've been all around the country with this documentary at various film festivals, and have you had that response pretty consistently everywhere? Has it been yeah. sold out?
0: I mean, we are consistently the top or one of the top uh, selling shows at every festival we've gone to. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's been kind of shocking. I mean, I, I thought there'd be a little bit of demand, but I... Had no idea that we would, uh, yeah, do so consistently well.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty irresistible. Yeah. You well, know. you
0: know what I think in this, you know, this this economy and you know this day and age, people are looking for something uplifting. I mean, one of the reasons I set out to shoot this documentary was I was tired of every documentary being one of these topics about you know blind children with AIDS living in Sudan. You know, all these topics made you want to rip your eyeballs out. Yeah, and I wanted to do a documentary that was fun, still would educate, yeah. and, you know, but leave people with a, a, a sense of a smile on their face. Yeah. And I think that, especially in this day and age, people are desperate for entertainment. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, who wants to go and be depressed? I you know, go get married if you want that. I mean, good <laughs> so, um
2: So, I, I mean, I remember in Seattle when I was, when I was in you know, waiting for the film to start. The people actually started chanting. <laughs> I've heard about this. I wish I'd seen that. Wieners, wieners. <laughs> and just to clarify too, and you know, being a dachshund owner myself, they're just, they're funny. They're funny looking. They're cute. They get a lot of attention. Leia gets a lot of attention and people more often refer to her as a wiener dog Yeah. than they do a dachshund, Correct, which yeah. is actually the name of the breed. So. Yeah. um, but, yeah, it was just, it was funny, and everyone was all fired up. It was sold out. It was standing room only. And uh, you had some pretty um, notable success. Uh, you were telling me in Tacoma that you built out, you beat out some um, pretty popular films. You want to talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, while we, while we were screening there, we were outselling um, uh, Religious, and uh, a Boogeyman, the Lee Atwater story, which was, a, I believe, a Sundance favorite. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we did quite well there um, mm-hmm. while we were screening. I mean, we, we were just thrown in at the last minute with no, uh, no advertising. You know, literally, they called us on Tuesday, and we were screening there Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, for us to beat you know, two studio films with you know, good multi million dollar advertising budgets. Well, I don't know if Boogeyman did, but mm-hmm. with advertising budgets, which yeah. is more than we have. Yeah. I mean, that that was kind of a feather in our cap. We were very pleased. Yeah. And that seems to be the case everywhere we've gone. I mean, there's not a single fest we've gone to where a Sundance winner, South by Southwest winner, Tribeca winner, you name it, has beaten us. Wow. A, you know, come to when we're talking attendance numbers. Not yeah. a single festival.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's great. People and love their wieners. They sure do. <laughs> um, so, when you're interviewing these people, I mean, you you probably hear this all the time, and I hope it's nothing but a compliment. People comparing you to Best in Show, the yeah. the movie, which is a spoof documentary, not an actual documentary.
0: Right, and I've always I've always been a you know, I've always said that the, you know, reality trumps anything you write. I mean, I love Christopher Guest. I think Waiting for Guffman is one of my favorite films of all time.
2: Uh huh.
0: But I mean. you're you can you can write funny people's interactions. They're never as funny as the true human interaction. Yeah, I mean they just aren't. You can't. you, you just can't write that stuff. And, I mean, Christopher Guest is one of the guys that comes closest to writing, you know, biting satire of people's interactions. And yeah. even he can't come close to the reality.
2: Yeah. Was it hard when you were interviewing people to? Uh, I mean, what was their attitude? Where you know, if they are taking it very seriously, it must have been hard to oh, maintain I mean, your we, composure.
0: Well, when we when we were at uh at the Westminster Kennel Club dog show for our for the dog show segment, yeah. um, we had people that just would not talk to us. Um, I mean, people that had camp that had scheduled interviews with us ended up canceling them at the last minute. We found out a they were afraid we were going to be promoting wiener dog racing and b this was all around the time that show dog Mums and dads was on um one of the networks and you know some people got kicked out or suspended from the show dog world and other people thought we were just going to do a hatchet job mm. so i mean it really took a lot of effort to sway these people's fears that look i'm doing a legitimate documentary i just really want to talk to you about you and your dog and your interactions with your dog and other people and I mean, I had to do the whole song and dance show with pretty much everybody that that we would talk to. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, we got we you know we were able to get enough good stuff on tape that uh, that I think we were able to prove our point that we were doing a legitimate documentary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was not easy at all.
2: Yeah well i uh i really look forward to seeing this documentary again it's it's just so entertaining and and rich with uh with interesting you know very educational very interesting but just to you know to listen to the personalities that you did interview um is great and and when it does come back into seattle i highly recommend that everybody go and and check out the film it's um it's well worth it. and um, Thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thanks so much, Shane McDougall. I look forward to talking to you again in the future to see where you've taken the movie. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be back with Rose Dedan of Wild Reiki and Shamanic Healing. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.
0: Six days, God created man. But earlier that morning, he had another plan. He took some spare parts, some look kind of weird, and cooked them for a while, and a wiener dog appeared. He had long, floppy ears, sausage-shaped and brown, stubby little legs and belly dragging on the ground. And nose that's made for smelling where a rabbit might be dwelling, but it won't. Won't be there for a long when a weeder dog's around. Now some dogs are hairy.
4: This is Martha Norwalk, every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to animal intuitive, medium, and Reiki master, Darcy Pariso, we cover the world of animals. This week, January 22nd, it's Behavior Training and Healing Sunday with me. As a behavior therapist and trainer, I'll take your calls and help you understand your animal friends and solve any issues going on, plus a long-time Animal World friend is in jeopardy and needs our help. I'll tell you all about it on Martha Norwalk's
2: Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country. But if you live in western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it.
3: Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA.
0: And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Um, now some dogs are hairy and other dogs are small, but there's only one dog shaped like a Hebrew national. Kielbasa and form, at night they keep you warm. Their nature's perfect, brought, Guess the weird dog is hot.
2: The- Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes with Rose Dedan of Wild Reiki and Shamanic Healing. Hi, Rose. Okay. So, just learned that the timing is interesting of my topic, because it sounds like you wrote um, recently something related to that. So,
4: Yes, um, I've been working on an article series entitled Answering the Call of the Wild,
2: mm-hmm.
4: um, which was actually sparked by an encounter with um, a wolf in the local Woodland Park Seattle Zoo, mm-hmm. and it's interesting you mentioned the, the concept of flight distance, because it was I tell during that has I, you might be interested to know, there's a book out there called Brother Wolf, A Forgotten Promise. Mm. And Jim Brandenburg, the author, talks about um, his experiences on his property in Minnesota, which he shares with um, a pack of wolves. Mm -hmm. So he's had a great deal of opportunities as a photographer to observe them, and he's noticed the relationship um, between ravens and wolves, which is very much of a um, win-win situation for both. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, When wolves have a kill, Raven shows up to share in the proceedings. And if Raven finds an animal that's died first, which they aren't strong enough to open the carcass, shall we say, Mm -hmm. they then alert by their calls, wolf hears and knows and comes. Mm. And so Jim Brandenburg talks about um, the fact that in hunting, it's been, you know, demonstrated that there's kind of a symbiosis between wolf and man. And the tracking skills and the endurance skills of the wolf would um, fit very nicely with man's um, tool-using abilities. Mm -hmm. So any animal that, you know, we weren't able to take down that was injured, wolf was able to take down, and then everybody could share in the kill. Mm -hmm. And so there was a real evolution. So I was fascinated by your talk about you know the flight distance and also reminded when you talked about you know how quickly that trait can show up um by reading something recently about the russian breeding program where they were breeding foxes
2: Foxes, yeah yeah and
4: it was what 26 generations they bred something that was
2: and with the foxes their ears mm. drooped and they started barking and their coat their and coats yep. broke and they yeah.
4: became like piebald uh-huh multicolored yep.
2: yeah so. I know it's just it's uh I almost get like giddy and overwhelmed with how fascinated I am by this topic and I it w- would behoove me to get more information so that I can kind of tolerate the the, <laughs> the uh the excitement over it because it is just so interesting and being such you know having such a connection with dogs too i mean it's just so charged for me as well Mm -hmm. personally um and it's you know it's interesting how you know when you talk about the you know bridging humans with you know from sort of civilization to more of a an ancestral connection. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it impresses me how even just with you know, with uh like I had a client a couple weeks ago with a smaller dog, you know, lived downtown and I've I've come encountered people who have this perspective, you know, regularly, I should say. And it's like they don't I don't think dogs get enough credit with their level of awareness and ability to communicate. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, I was really surprised because um, I had a groomer come who comes to the house. And, um, you know, she came once and then, you know, this she came a month later and he remembered her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Of course, he he remembers her. It's you know, dogs have this capacity to think in ways that we can relate to, and well,
4: and it always amazes me that that people are astounded by the fact, you know, when it's evidenced that they think. But mm-hmm. I just automatically assume because that's my experience in communicating with them that 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 they think.
2: Yeah. And and you know the partnership too the dogs. You know, I think the flight distance seems like it was kind of the gateway <clears throat> into the the connection between our two species and, you know, then creating dogs. But like you said, you know, one, they they became garbage disposals and cleaned up our, our mess. They also became hunting partners. They became, uh, you know, good guardians as far as alerting to other predators around mm-hmm. the villages and campfires. And, you know, eventually became, have become the, you know, members of the family who unconditionally love us. So it's just an interesting, you know, interesting evolution and a very powerful bond. And I think what I try to get my clients in the context of training and behavior is to understand that they can very naturally communicate with their dogs and to be aware of the nonverbal communication, the body language, the energy, the tone, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, in addition to the actual words. Right. We tend to get kind of caught up in our in our brains with the uh, the verbal blah 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 blah, and then we're not really connected to you know how are we holding ourselves? You know, are we even present?
4: Yeah, my um, Peruvian teacher Don Manuel Quispe um, says, "Stay out of your head, perceive with your heart." Yeah which, as far as I'm concerned, is is the answer to um, most of the problems in this
2: world. Mm. And it's, you know, it's, it's definitely sat, saddens me to when I think about the state of wolves as a species and how challenged they are, you know, mm-hmm. sh- sharing this earth with us and And how we definitely, I mean, you know, and like the big bad wolf and those stories, the three little pigs that just Mm -hmm. make make wolves out, I think, inaccurately to be these, you know, beasts that are just out for blood. And it's just so not true. And much worse than that, making pigs out to
3: be lousy architects.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are no um, documented uh, evidence anywhere in the United States of a wolf attack on a healthy human being.
2: Yeah. We have a caller, so let's talk with Bob in Massachusetts. Hi, Bob. Hello. How are, How are you? you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing good. I just uh, wanted, I was listening to your earlier segment, and I had a couple of thoughts that crossed my mind, and I'd like to just uh, get your thoughts on them. Great. First, uh, earlier I heard you talking about uh, the woman you were talking to before talking about how intelligent dogs are and so forth, and I I remembered an article that I read in a National Geographic magazine about uh, animal minds, Mm -hmm. and um, if I could just read this short segment out of it, it's about a a border collie named Betsy, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: who, um, she's a six-year-old female Mm-hmm. She could put names to objects on faster than a great ape.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Her uh, vocabulary is at 340 words and counting. Uh-huh. Her smarts showed up early, and they say at 10, she could sit on command and was soon picking up on names of items and rushing to retrieve them. Mm-hmm. Ball, rope, paper, box, keys, and dozens more. Mm-hmm. She now knows more than 15 people by name, and in scientific tests, She's been proved skilled at linking photographs with the objects they represent.
2: Wow, it's
4: a pretty incredible little animal.
2: Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> what do you think about that, Rose?
4: Uh, well, as I, I think we said earlier in private conversation, I often think that with border collies, you know, if we put clothes on them, they could pass. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they are smart, smart dogs.
2: Yeah, you know, the average dog I've heard the average dog can has the capacity to capacity to learn 400 to 900 words so wow. yeah it's you know i think they're just underestimated really
4: mm-hmm. and they do better at learning our language than we do learning theirs.
2: yeah absolutely
4: mm-hmm. um i
3: also uh saw a program on television about feral children mm-hmm. and i was um, kind of listening to your talk and, and wondering if the same kind of thing isn't going on with dogs Uh, and the evolution of dogs coming into our lives that it kind of happens with these strange cases of uh, children that have cropped up in various places around the world. Um, One little Russian girl, uh, I think in this century, or it must have been because I saw a film of her, she was uh, rejected by her mother and uh, was basically raised by the family uh, dogs. And uh, she behaves and barks and runs and snarls and, you know, for all practical purposes, behaves completely like a dog. And uh, following the film, uh, the people were saying, the uh, scientists running, uh, running the program were saying that the mammalian brain or the human brain is, at birth, totally wide open to be programmed. <clears throat> and in this case, you know, the basic need for contact and touch um draws the, the young person to whatever's around it.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: in the case of dogs I wonder if the same thing doesn't happen where we get we often get them when they're puppies and uh so they bond to us and they try to darn us to uh learn who we are and we the same back to them and it's mm-hmm. uh, I wonder if that's not behind some of their extraordinary human like not even human like, I guess the uh, similar um, abilities to what we
2: have. Well, and I would also say, you know, I wrote an article that I just recently posted on examiner.com, which I'm the dog training behavior and nutrition examiner for Seattle. So you can go <laughs> to examiner.com to read that. And it was about this this genetic evolution of, you know, wolves into dogs. And the question that came came to my mind in the article as I was writing it is, you know, if dogs are sort of genetically... Programmed to understand us. I mean, how is that happening? If if humans have been living with dogs for you know anywhere between fourteen thousand and a hundred thousand years, how are dogs programmed into us? Right. You know, if you come from a family of dog lovers and you you know kind of carry that on, and then you know how just the it's interesting when that much time passes. You have to there has to be some deeper level, you know, sort of identification that happens. So.
4: Well, that definitely came across in um, the book I mentioned, Brother Wolf, Mm -hmm. because, you know, it talked about how the, well, basically, we have become civilized, if you operate on the, the theoretical premise, we have become civilized on the basis of our partnership with wolves, because which then became dogs mm-hmm. because the partnership of the two for hunting enabled us to be able to survive, to pay less um, emphasis on constantly hunting because the hunts were more successful mm-hmm. enabling us to spend more time developing our culture and our society and ultimately um, cultivating other domestic animals settling down, you know, etc.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So, yeah, I think there's a very real premise of, you know, there's a both sides have an
2: effect upon the other. Yeah, well, and then it's interesting, as we as we did, you know, as we were relieved of the um, time of hunting as a result of the partnership, so then if you imagine that we, you know, over time develop livestock, and then what do we do is we <laughs> create herding breeds to help us manage the, the flocks of livestock, mm-hmm. which then, you know, gives us more time to continue to develop, you know, like you said, to civilize.
4: Right. So. Well, to the to develop, to devote time to things that aren't, you know, sus- uh, excuse me, survival, you know, necessitated
2: mm-hmm.
4: art, culture.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a really a book that I need to pick up. Brother Wolf: A Forgotten Promise. Do you yeah, know the- I
4: believe it's out of print, but there are copies available on Amazon.
2: Okay, and what's the author's name? Do you know?
4: Jim Brandenburg. B r a n d e n b u r g, and right. he's not only a wonderful photographer, but I thought his his writing was superb.
2: Okay, great. Well, Bob, thanks so much for your call.
3: Thanks, Bob. Are oh, you very welcome? I, I hope you can hear me over my snoring, uh, big yellow golden retriever. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> maybe she maybe she learned that from me. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Thank you. All right, thanks. Okay, so um, so we I, so let's talk about. Uh, my experience with Chewy yesterday and a little bit about that element of what you do, Rose. Mm -hmm. Um, So I brought Chewy, my uh, almost 12-year-old shepherd mix, to see you um, for a healing, is that what you would call it?
4: Well, yeah, a healing session. I call it just a session, but they
2: kind of get a little funny sometimes in certain
4: circles (laughs) talking
2: about healing. Okay, well but
4: that's
2: all right we'll call it doing. Okay. So we went to we went over for a session and I brought my little Leia as well um to just kind of be along for the ride and Chewie's you know he's getting older and um he's he's my boy. He is you know I've had him since he was 4 months old. I got him when I was in college. He went through my 20s with me and moved out here from New England and uh you know he's just he's my soulmate for sure. And a very, very strong bond. And so I wanted to see what, um, you know, what you could do for him and also kind of get to know you a little bit and what you do. And it was amazing his uh, response to you and the shift that I witnessed and that others witnessed in him even later that day that he was just. Uh, I don't know how to describe it, really, but, well, I, I, there was just a peace and ease uh, present um, more so than, you know, than normally, I guess. And it was just really, really great to be in the space of when you were working with him to watch how receptive he was to you.
4: Well, he's a very... She um, was a very open-hearted dog. hmm And the and I'm, I'm glad that he's that he's doing well it was, a, it was a pleasure working with him the part of the session that i just loved was where i wanted to do some work on his his tummy
2: mm-hmm.
4: and he was in a um a relaxed but you know that kind of sphinx position yeah and um i just said to him you know i pictured you know what i want i said out loud what i wanted to do could i you know would it be okay if you went over on your side and like do some work on your tummy? And sent him an image of that, and he just laid right over. Yeah. Which I was just like, yeah.
2: <laughs> I know.
4: It's so nice when, uh, you know, when the communication is just really, he's receptive and, um, you know, clear, and it
2: was great. Mm-hmm. So he did. He sort of, you know, laid over and, and opened up his underside to you, and then you went down below, and then he sort of let out this... Uh, big burp, and you're like, yep, that's why we wanted to go down there, give you a little (laughs) bit of a release. (laughs) Yeah, and then when he, you know, something that impressed me also was when Puma came out at the end, and we were down at the bottom of the stairs. Puma's my dog. Puma is, yes, and he's a, how old is Puma?
4: Mm, The jury's out on that one. Um, I thought he might be between 8 and 10, because he's a shelter dog with no previous history. Mm Mm-hmm. But
2: my vet thinks he might actually be older. Okay, so he's a, he's a sort of a peer of Chewy, mm-hmm. and um, and he Chewy's a he's uh, very vocal. He's he'll he barks a lot. He talks a lot, and he gets a, a dog like Puma to me. I would assume that Chewy would sort of just bark at him and you know tell him tell him whatever he needs to tell him, and and uh, he didn't. Uh, you know, we were at the bottom of the stairs, and you said, "Oh, do you want to say, you know, say hi to Puma?" And so you brought him out, and he was Puma was at the top of the stairs, and he's a he's a big dog, and he you know looks over down at us, and Chewy looks up at him, and there was no sound, and I was just like, "Well, that is just nice." I mean, it, it I think it was a combination, and like you said, Puma is a calm dog, mm-hmm. and uh, just the space that we were in, and Chewy's. State and all that kind of stuff just all added up to a very nice interaction between me and my dogs and, and Puma and so. Oh, I'm so glad you had a good
4: time. And yes, Puma is a um, a very calm dog. He's part of uh, many of my classes.
2: So, Rose, the the sessions as we were just talking about, Chewy, how are these um, helpful for aging animals?
4: Well, one of the things that happens is, as everybody gets older is, is that, you know, we get kind of knocked off balance because we have more than just a physical body. We also have an energetic and a spiritual body. Mm-hmm. And so things like energy work, whether it's Reiki or shamanism, um, help to reestablish that Tissues of the body, but mm-hmm. also promotes, you know, spiritual growth, mm-hmm. um, which is true for people and animals. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the case of aging animals, it helps. of life, mm-hmm. you know, and to, the longer that we're, um, you know, in balance, uh, the better our quality of life and the longer a life we may lead. Think of all those people, for example, in China who are 90 years old that you see doing Tai Chi,
1: mm-hmm. for
4: example. Mm-hmm. Um, the same concept is true for animals, which is why I like to teach, um, which is why I teach classes in Reiki,
1: mm-hmm.
4: which is something, as a modality that anyone can learn. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got one coming up um, May 8th and 9th Mm -hmm. here in Seattle. But I like to teach people to be able to do Reiki both for themselves as well as for the benefit of their animals. Many of my students have taken Reiki classes because they have an elderly pet or, for example, a dachshund that's got back problems. You know, it Mm -hmm. helps to, um, and they've reported, some of them have reported some amazing things.
2: Mm
4: -hmm. Um, So
2: that's why. And uh, if you want more information about Rose and her classes, her website is www.reikishamanic.com. And that is R-E-I-K-I-S-H-A-M-A-N-I-C, reikishamanic.com. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We'll be back live next Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. on Alternative Talk, AM 1150.
0: You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.